Jesus said, And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations, the thoughts of all of our hearts and minds be acceptable and pleasing to you, our Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. And please be seated. There are certain special verses in the New Testament, aren't there, that come very easily to mind. Um, how about the golden rule? Y'all got that back in permanent storage? The Great Commission might be a little more challenging. And John 3.16. I always thought it was odd that it didn't have a title of anything but John 3.16, but I think I figured out why. Because John 3.16 is our distillation, (laughs) our bringing it down, our summation and other words in the thesaurus. The distillation of the gospel. For God so loved the world, and this is the way I remember it, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We've recited that verse. We've read that verse. Maybe we've even sung that verse. But today, as Lent is drawing to its conclusion, let's take just a moment to look at the very beginning of that verse, that phrase that gives God's motivation, God's heart in sending Jesus. For God so loved the world. Now remember, Jesus has been speaking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee who came in the dead of night, probably so he wouldn't be seen coming to Jesus. And Jesus had just told him that you must be born again. It could also be translated born from above. Nicodemus went the born again route, and we've generally followed that translation. But always you can think born again, reborn, born from above, because those two things hold together in that new birth. 
Jesus goes on, and we had in our reading, to recall the story of the Israelites. Remember the Israelites had been not so good, and they were being bitten by poisonous serpents, and how were they to be delivered from the judgment against their idolatry and their selfishness and their rebellion against God? Well, Moses, God said, take and make a bronze serpent, put it up on a large pole and hold it up, and all they have to do is look at it, and they will be healed. And I believe it says back in Numbers 21, and as many as looked at it were healed. That almost requires that some chose not to look at it. My dad had a phrase, that's cutting off your nose to spite your face. Y'all ever heard that? Yeah. Some would just not give up their pride just to look at that image that would give them salvation, that representation and acknowledgement of their sin that is being raised up so that they could see and believe and be given life. Now, Jesus says, just as this happened, I will be lifted up. You're saying, well, why is he comparing himself to a serpent? Well, think of it this way. Jesus bore our sins on the cross. When we look to Him, when we see Him on the cross, that is reminding us of the reason that He is there, which is us. This was an image of God's judgment on sin, but also of God's forgiveness. Now, He reminds Nicodemus of this and then goes on to talk about the light and the dark. And I'm sure it doesn't escape Nicodemus's notice. He's saying that people hide their evil acts at night. Does that mean that when I was hiding myself, I thought coming to him was evil? Or was it just because I was afraid of what everyone would say? So there's a lot going on here. And of course, John would include that because John wants us to know that there is a light that has come into the world, that they have beheld the glory and the light of the Father's only Son, and that we can behold him as well and be saved, be redeemed, be given eternal life instead of perishing. And the motivation was this, for God so loved the world. Jesus was the one who said, God is love. Remember that? For God is love. Now, think about love for just a minute. To have love, you need to have the other person for whom you are loving. Right? Okay. How can God be love whenever it was just God before creation ever took place? Well, by the way, if people ever ask why this whole Trinity thing This is something we rarely ever mention, but it is absolutely true. Does the Father love the Son? I believe Jesus said He does. Apply that to all. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit from eternity past. One God, but three persons experiencing love in God's very self. Okay? You follow me? That's a little bit tricky. Okay. That love was in and of itself complete. 
But God chose to share the possibility of love by creating others with the capacity to love each other and him. That's us. And that will explain so much if you just dwell on it for a little while. That even explains the fall because love is not love if it is coerced. Love to be love is chosen. Correct? Okay. And to put it in this way, even when we decided to break it off, God still loved us sacrificially. So God so loved the world. Now, when we first heard that, maybe that threw us a bit because wasn't Jesus the one saying, I pray, Lord, that they, you know, although they are in the world, they are not of it. And there was all this talk about the negative parts of the world. Now, we have to know what God is saying here through Jesus, through John. For God so loved the world, he's not talking about the worldliness, the brokenness, the sinfulness that people do, the evil that men do, to use an old phrase. The judgment that God must make on sin is just and holy, but you know it has to break the heart of the God who it says in His Word wants all to come to repentance, none to perish. That's in Second Peter 3. So God so loved every fallen, broken, sinful person that has ever been or ever will be. Though he hates the evil that we do, he loves each and every one of us that he created so much that he bore our sins in Christ on the cross because he loved us so much. Now, does that sound like the core of the gospel right there? Okay. This is the question. How much are we reflecting, sharing, promulgating God's love? The specific kind of God love that God has. Are we sharing and living the message that God loves all He created, no matter the sinfulness, the brokenness, the transgression, that even while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us so much He died for us. Are we communicating that message or do we unintentionally sometimes communicate the message that God loves some so much that He died for them? Every one of us in here is human. Every one of us has our comfort zones. Not to limit it to this point because it's not, but that is one of the reasons why I believe they still say the most segregated time in American life is 11 to 12 on Sunday morning. We like to associate with people that feel comfortable to us, that we can identify with us. It can be hard for us to appreciate those who are a little too different from us in their culture, in their viewpoints, in their income, even in their manner of presentation or their dress. That old story about the 
evangelist who came late to faith because when he was a kid and going down to the altar to pray, the church leader took him aside and said, boy, you better cut your hair before you come back here next Sunday. See, some people might be a little too other for us. And according to the world, if you listen to what the world thinks of Christians, do we or do we not have the reputation for being a little bit cliquish? A bit of a holy huddle, it's been called. Don't we have the reputation of just being concerned with ourselves and what we want? And is that a fair critique? Whether it's fair or not, we need to acknowledge that that is the perception. And how do we fight against that? Are we sharing God's love within our fellowship? John 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And this is how people will know that you are mine. How well are we doing that? Let me ask you this. How many people have you met that either said or would say yes to the following question? Have you ever been burned by a church? According to the world, again, Christians have a reputation as divisive, combative, even over the little things. Churches have split over carpets. There's even jokes about it. The churches that were trying to hang together because of their unity, but at the same time, half of the church was used to forgive us our transgressions. The other half was used to forgive us our debts. And they couldn't reconcile it. So one church returned to their transgressions and the other church returned to their debts. It's funny, but it's not. See, here's the question. Are we sharing the kind of love God has? Because God's kind of love was not, consen- was not content with this perfect love between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God's kind of love is not content with those who just already are sharing in it. God's kind of love reaches out to others in the midst of their brokenness, of their weirdness, strangeness, otherness. Are we willing to patiently endure the brokenness of others while presenting to them God's offer of healing? Or do we insist that they outwardly conform to our expectations, get their hair cut, or whatever, before we say, okay, now you can be one of us? God's kind of love is explicitly self-sacrificing. He could have started over. He could have totally eliminated the human family. He did not. He instead bore our sins himself. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He placed our needs before his. I don't know about you, but one of the biggest challenges of life that I have found is learning the lesson to distinguish between wants and needs and making sure that I'm not placing my wants over another's needs. And our culture doesn't help with that. You really need this new whatever. That's the message we live in now. 
But see, Jesus said, be ye perfect in Matthew 5, 48. Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So here's the question. How can we be perfect? Well, many Christians, including Methodists, have historically understood that to mean being perfected in love. That the goal that we strive for is that every action that we take is motivated Every decision that we make is motivated at its core by these twin loves which are like unto each other, the love of God and the love of others. I'll give you one example. I've given it before, but it is still the best one because I think it played such a role in changing the world. Remember, first century Rome, the stories that you've heard and how Christians were being persecuted and how eventually their witness and a bunch of key happenings just brought the Christian gospel front and center of Western history and civilization. In first century Rome, it was accepted that a child was not a child until the family, specifically the father, said that it was. It was not a person until they acknowledged it. Sound familiar? Now, they didn't have sex-selective abortions. They practiced sex-selective infanticide. Death by exposure. Leave the child on a street corner, just like someone here was left. Or throw the infant onto the local trash barge as it went by. Remember when you would have been shocked, not just saddened, to hear about a newborn infant found in the trash? Imagine living in a world that was so callous to the cries of abandoned infants that it could ignore them as a matter of course because that was just a necessary part of modern society. Then imagine this one crazy group of people who have nothing, no resources, no fine buildings, no funds available who start saying and doing the message of we'll take them We will take them. We find a baby that's abandoned. We're going, please do not throw it, put it on the barge. Give the child to us. We will raise the child. And people, we can become so calloused, but we do respond when we see the light. And in that place and in that time, that was a part of the light that was shining forth. And actions like that of extravagant love that challenged the society in front of them, surrounding them, changed that world. I don't know, I just sometimes feel that Maybe we're a little too comfortable. Maybe we're a little too at ease. I heard this week that the brokenness of the American foster care system has 
bad repercussions on the families, the children that are going through it right now. It's at a very low point. I also heard the statistic that if every church in America would have one family that took one child in from the foster care system, it would empty it out. That kind of love that says, I will, I count the cost, I will bear the cost. And I will do it in the name of the one who bore my sins on the cross, in whom I find forgiveness and life. That's what this world needs. And that is the kind of love that God not only offers to us, but if we let him, he can fill us up with. Heavenly Father, Lord, your love for us was not simply an emotion or a wishing of wellness. Your love for us was the love of a parent that steps in front of the gunshot to save their child's life. More than that, your love was the love of a friend who pushed the other out of the way of the rushing car. More than that, your love for us is the love of the person who has sacrificed their life and well-being for their enemy. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you gave your life the life of your one and only Son so that eternity can be offered to each of us. Lord, help us be again shocked by the extravagant, radical, self-sacrificing nature of your love. Help us desire that that kind of love, risky, scary, dangerous as it is, be lived out fully in our lives. And if, Lord, that is more than we can say right now, Help us to start to long for it. Dear Lord, let it be. In Christ's name, amen.